0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. As I often say, playing the finest in indie pop and beyond. And as you know, we do love a special guest. This week, it is going to be the turn of Balooie Sum, who I spoke to a few weeks ago to find out more about life, love, poetry... Basically, a life in music, art, the ups, downs, and everything in between. Anyway, this is the interview. Um, I won't bore you with any more chat, really. Um, This, after a few minutes of talking to each other to say hi, who are you? Well, I did um, what he did to me, anyway. Um, Yes, we started to reminisce, as old people do, about some of the uh, music and the scene back in the 80s. And this was Balooey Sum's reply. Bluey, it's over to you. Save this interview. Um,
1: what do you then, think of? The, you think of Mark Armand and, and um, Human League, don't you? And Dran Dran and whatever. And then yes. you forget about the other two, three hundreds.
0: <laughs> yes, well, there were just so many. And the, and obviously there was kind of an interesting sort of mix in the 80s and it was very tribal yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So it is good, but it's always very interesting and curious because... Yes, there was just an awful lot of music. And at that time, we were just amazingly committed to um, consuming it, really, weren't we, as as fans? Mm. So that was good. But look, is it possible to get a bit of an idea of your kind of very early kind of years and you know, what you were listening to, you know, in those childhood period when you were sort of um, probably, I didn't listen to Top of the Pops and Radio 3? Well, I mean, uh,
1: uh, I remember first... I mean, I I was I was um I was at boarding school. So the my first recollection were the older boys at school who were listening to Genesis and Yes and you know, Led Zeppelin and all that sort of stuff, which seemed you know, um well, it was, it was it was I started listening to it when I was about thirteen, twelve or thirteen. And then um but that was at the same time as um Mark Boland and David Bowie and Elton John and everyone and Roxy Music started to happen. So, so uh, the older boys were pretty scornful of of this new generation of music. If you remember, you just said yourself, Tribal.
0: Yes, of course.
1: You know, you 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 know, you you, you couldn't be a fan of one sort of music and uh, and also a fan of another sort. Uh, and I'm I'm just thinking, and I'm not just thinking about glam rock and. Heavy rock and you know album rock and whatever, but I'm thinking about all the other things, mods and rockers and whatever. But <clears throat> no, so I started. But the thing that did it, and, and I was listening to John. I think the first record I bought was Imagine,
0: right? And then,
1: um, and then um pretty soon after that, it was uh David B- Bowie. I mean, it was Ziggy Stardust, and then I was off. You know, as soon as you heard Ziggy Stardust, you were scowling around sc- scouring around looking for everything else weren't you i mean you know you wanted the rest of david bowie's catalogue you wanted to know everything
0: yes this is true and and um then i was a fanatic yes well it's interesting and, because my brother who because I'm, <laughs> I'm in my my mid-50s and my brother who was seven years older that 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 his music collection was all prog rock, you know. It was Genesis, yes, Barclay James, uh, uh, Barclay yeah. James Harvest, Wishbone Ash, yeah, followed right. by, Wishbone the, Ash, yes. by the so, by the the solo work of Rick Wakeman, John Anderson, and, yeah. and then there was two other albums, Deep Purple and Black Sabbath. So he liked his kind of rock. So I grew up there, but I suppose I yeah. was into the glam world, and then it was seeing David Bowie doing Space Oddity, and thankfully that was my first single, and I thought, oh yes, this is very interesting, because yeah. the B side had changes and. Uh, Velvet Goldmine, and I thought,
1: yeah, I mean, there were such amazing.
0: I mean, if uh,
1: at one stage, you know, I knew that. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you're the same. I mean, there were there were about ten albums that that, that every single song was just a masterpiece. You know, I mean, just just a, 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 a you know a, a style and culture changing masterpieces. <laughs> yes. So. um and of course, all the other acts that came with it were like the Roxy, Roxy's. and um, I mean, obviously, you know the things that came with the seventies music, which was just
0: amazing. It was so creative. And did and you? Course, and I was going to say, yeah. did did punk kind of come into your orbit as well? Um, do you know? I think what punk did was it
1: stirred everyone. For me, I mean, I remember I actually saw Janet Street Porter's interview on um, that six o'clock program. I remember seeing it. Was it six o'clock or was it on Sunday morning with Brian Ward? I can't remember. But I remember seeing it and I became quite friendly with Janet. I, by, by the way, I'll throw that one in. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, um, I was not into punk music at all, but I was into the, the kicking the music industry up the arse you know i loved that i loved the shock and the horror and when you know i was 17 or whatever i, I 16 maybe i think probably i mean so i loved all that but i just no i wasn't my brother was <laughs> he's a vicar <laughs> i mean <laughs> but he loved it all but i i was um i was into the clash and things like that but i'm stranglers but they were more they weren't so punky,
0: were they? That's no. they were punk at the time. Not they the they word. kind of were in that kind of, but they, bizarrely, I mean, they were looking back, the, yeah. strang, the Stranglers were much kind of older, actually. They were sort of, I think the keyboard player might have even been in his thirties, which was, you know, yeah. at that stage was ancient. So when did you suddenly find your voice? When did you start to think, I want to? Well,
1: I was, I was way behind um fashion. I mean, I was, I was, I was started writing songs when I was about 14 or 15. And, um but you know i was i was not in a fashionable environment at all so i was writing songs you know and they were totally um the content was totally not cool (laughs) so um but i started going to see record companies when i was about 17 as soon as i could drive i'd drive in to london and see the record companies and then i suddenly started to you know get yeah, ideas and uh, uh, what I would, you know, how I would develop. But I, it it didn't happen quickly for me because I was not very good. I I wanted it to happen quickly, but I, I, every time I tried to get a band together, it it failed miserably. So I realized that I was much better as a solo artist, but you have to put yourself back then. You couldn't get a deal as a solo artist. There was, there was no recording deals for solo artists. They solo artists already existed. They didn't they didn't come from new. Yeah. So they came from other bands or other incarnations. And so um, you know, um I had real problems getting a recording deal. Also I was called Neville Keesley, you know, and I was quite middle class and at a time when class and all these, even though the industry's always been very middle class, uh, no one realized it. You know what I mean. I yes. was not dangerous, and I was not. Um, you know, I was called Neville Keatley for God's sake, and I was singing love songs, and that that just didn't work. So um, it took me about five years to to sort of turn it around and make it work, and to you know get it all to get it so that it was it was. Marketable, I guess. Yes, I mean.
0: absolutely. Because, cause, I mean, at that period, and this is a very simplistic kind of way of looking at it, you know, you had that as we, as we sort of that, that glam period and the punk period, and then you had post punk, yeah. and then that kind of interesting world that was kind of that post punk, which had people, I suppose, in a way, it was like bands like Magazine and Gang of Four, but then you also had, you know, the slightly dark side of soft sell, and then that kind of new romantic. And now, on the, on, you had the new romantic world going on, and then you had this kind of. Yeah. Indie world with John Peel and all those kind of acts that were like Echo and the Bunnymen, and then eventually, I suppose, people like The Smiths. So, so when you were looking at that '80s period, which was quite interesting, did you did you sort of work out where you were going to try but, to go? But my problem was
1: I wasn't very good at faking it, and and the, and um, and you've got to believe it to pull it off, you know. And um, if you all the bands you've just mentioned are incredibly. In, in, believed what they were and were what they were, and the new romantics they were new romantics, and Echo and Bunny Money were, and and Depeche Mode, and um, you go, all the bands you've talked about or mentioned, or all the bands we are we were fans of, um, they were very convincing. Now, I was not, I was a, a very, very middle of the road singer songwriter from South of London called Neville Keatley, who was adamant i was i mean i was really determined and really driven don't get me wrong but i i did i had all the songs but i didn't have the image
0: you know what i mean whereas a lot of
1: people had a lot of people had the image but didn't have the bloody songs so um i mean i had imagination and other songs two or three years long maybe even more before I, i think i wrote imagination when i was 19 you know i got the deal 23 you know so um so just to give you an example so so um so uh, this was the problem I had. So I didn't have an image, and I wasn't very good at creating one. And It was only only at the very end, where I when I had a I put a band together. I got some money. I was paying the band three quid a rehearsal or something, and um, and we had the gigs. And I didn't have a name, and I couldn't call myself Neville Keithley. So that's when I came up with the. Uh, you know, the
0: terrifying Beluis Sum. <laughs> and um and um Was that your was thing, that your kind of Ziggy Stardust? Did you go from Davy Davy Jones to Ziggy Stardust in that? Well kind of... the
1: problem again, I wasn't very good at pulling that those date that that had been done. So I couldn't, you know, go out and call myself Bing Bang Bong. I had to come up with something and the reason I called myself Belouis Sum was well, I wanted it to be a band name, but I didn't want it to be a total band name because I wasn't a band. I wanted to be a bit ambiguous, so it could have been a solo artist. But I it was gonna be the Bluey something band. And yeah. it was I, I named it after the, the kinsman from the, the 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 um the Blues brothers, you know, do you remember that Louis Louis yes. something you know? and uh, but I never got the something or the band. So I it ended up being Bluey something only because I didn't have any time. The first gig was a disaster. So I went away and thought this is it. I've spent now seven or eight years trying to do this. I've got the, the next Embassy Club gig is sold out. You're bluey some now, and you're terrible. What are you going to do? So in fact, what I did, some bright sparks said dye your hair white. It was really, in those days, it, it wasn't very common because it was quite hard to do, and it did take a day to do it. And uh, Blade Runner had just come out.
0: Nice, Bleach, At, was, was it the Bleach yeah. gig? What, what oh you...
1: God, seven hours. And pain and blisters and um,
0: a red scalp,
1: so a red scalp, and uh, my eyebrows too, and everything. And I dyed my hair white, and I drank a lot of alcohol as well. That's the other thing. So I was so brave. I looked entirely different. I looked like a new person. You look entirely different if you dye your hair white. I mean, you just don't look like yourself. Which you, you know, I mean, obviously, I don't have any hair now, but, um, and I. I was amazing. <laughs> it
0: was just a, I was just a different person and like, it was great. Well, that's quite interesting, isn't it? It's like putting the mask on and uh, I guess this, yeah. is what, this is kind of like what a lot of actors can do when, you know, mostly people are quite shy and introvert and don't like people, but they put the character, they make the character yeah. and then they, they become this like, wow, this is interesting.
1: Well, I mean, looking back after 30, 40 years, of course, that's what a load of us did. I mean, um. If you look at all the acts, I mean they all created a, a new persona or a new image or a, or whatever. I mean, most of my mates in the music business are really shy, you know, um, very charming people. As soon as they go on stage, they're completely
0: different. Yes. I guess it's you a know. fight. and Is it flight or fear, isn't it? A fight or fear. Or something. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Terror. <laughs> so there was quite, I mean, one thing you said, there was that you had a sold out gig, which seems pretty amazing because, you know, we've seen photographs, I don't know, of people like, I don't know, Kate Bush and her band, where she's in a small bar. You know, she only played yeah. a few gigs at that, that stage, but it wasn't round with people. And you don't get all that thing like, oh, yes, I was there yeah. seeing Kate Bush and her band. It was like, there was probably three people who were there. And, and no, that, but no, 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 but no. The first gig, there were there, you know there were ten or twenty people and they
1: just stood there looking at me and they're all my friends that were like you are terrible you know, and the second one I knew I'd sold out because it was at the Embassy Club and I, and um, my manager at the time lived opposite a school, or a sixth form college somewhere up in Hertfordshire and he'd given them all free kick tickets and, and hired a coach and filled it with beer, and um, they came to London for the evening, so I knew that we were full um so i'd also invited all the record companies and they were well, who the fuck's bluey some you know what is bluey some of course they all knew me but they didn't realize it was me <laughs> and um and um so the record companies arrived and there was a queue outside they loved that you know mm-hmm. and um and so it was rocking and of course the full gig with pissed 16 year olds 17 year olds and um no, it was everything that everyone wanted. And of course, I was obviously, you know, and my band was pretty good, by the way. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, I might have been useless on stage, but the band was amazing. Yes. So, um, uh, you know, and I, 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 mean, I could still sing the songs. It was just, I just had no charisma. No. But, you know, by that stage, you know, half a bottle of vodka and a, my white hair, I was uh, a new man. So that was the first embassy gig. And then I did a string of those all round but, um, yes. and then, you know, and then we were, then we were off.
0: It was. It was. So yeah, because it's. Because interestingly, I suppose a lot of the bands I've sort of also interviewed of those, I suppose, are slightly more of an indie type. So they've sort of had that kind of. They've. I suppose also in the early eighties, there was an awful lot of unemployment for especially young people, and there was a lot of people who just went unemployed or job seekers' allowance or enterprise allowance, and they sort of had a couple of years faffing about, but thinking, "Well, let's be in a band," especially if you're on the enterprise allowance. So that kind of gave people indirectly a grant, you know, in a weird way. And you know, then there's. Single, they would they'd make a single. John Peel played that They would get a John Peel session. Obviously, your your sort of trajectory didn't go like that. But you- I, I wasn't.
1: No, no. You see, I could. I couldn't. I couldn't pull that one off. I wasn't mm. suffering terror. I mean, I, 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 I didn't have any money, and I was doing odd jobs, and I was. <laughs> but but I wasn't from up north, and I wasn't, you know, complaining about you know, and I wasn't political, and I wasn't. I was. T- incredibly middle of the road um like a lot of the english acts i mean i don't think i don't think you could ever say that mark bolan or david bowie or any of those london acts were political i mean they were you know it was it was that was not my angle my angle was i totally believed in what i was doing but i but i but i wasn't image driven that was the problem yes and i and and that and that and that sort of stuck with me through the 80s because I had my white hair, but, you know, when they came to release my singles, EMI and Parlophone had real problems because were, everyone would go, well, what is he? Is he a solo artist? Is, is he American? Is he English? Because I recorded them in America. And, uh, and they were like, well, why does he get to record in America? Well, you know, and um, so, I mean, maybe that's a, a, a factor in why some of the stuff I did didn't do as well as it should have done. I mean, yes. but when you, you did- know. It, that,
0: I was going to say when you got your that first album together, um, some people, which was came out in the mid '80s. I mean, the band that you got for that session or and and album. Are phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, these are the best, some of the best musicians in the world. And also, well, oh, and to and, yeah. and, and remember in '83, I'd gone to Milton Keynes, I see Mr. David Bowie, and he just I started, saw that gig, yeah. And, and I saw he one was one of those, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. so, and I think there was like Men at Work, the beat, and David Bowie with his very bleached blonde hair doing uh, Merry Christmas. It was
1: Christmas. the entire band that did my first album, was that?
0: Yes, that. I just realized, yeah. you know, your band oh. really yeah. just Did you just oh. say, Look, by the way, you've had a bit of a go with Bowie, now you can have the real thing. <laughs> Did you?
1: So no you know you know no no I was um, no my album I'd recorded it in London and it was boring and I'd, I'd worked with some great musos in London but it was boring and I and I got as far as you know I spent eight months on this album I, I supported Nick Kershaw around the UK on a tour and and I thought this is crazy I can't and I were like this is boring too <laughs> and they said well let's do a remix so we'll where well, there's these mixers in new york have done a great job with talk talk so steve uh thompson and michael paviero so um go go to them they're they're new mix people and they're very good and they we've got a number one dance record in america with talk talk we'll go over there so i went over and they did an amazing job of some song on one of my songs i can't remember what it was and i said they said we really want to produce you you're great and i said well you know i would love to work with you guys but you know, here am my about to throw me off the bloody label. I've, you know, I've, I've got these, we love your songs, but, you know, they're boring. So he said, we can do it. I said, well, you, we got, okay, but, okay, I'd love to do it. You know, I've really, really gelled with these guys, but, but, um, and they'd been working or they, someone had met Carlos Alomar and they said, well, Carlos would love to work on this. I said, Carlos Alomar, my hero, you know, <laughs> and, um, so I said, Well this and let's and let's try and get Carlos to do it and then then someone said, Well look, Carlos has said he'd love to do it. This has all happened in a space for three days. Um and he's also got Bernard Everett and Tony Thompson from Chic. They want to do it because they've never done anything together. They yes. lived in New York together for years and years, but they they they'd always work with Niall because obviously Niall was Chic, not not Carlos, you see. So um they were very competitive. All these people, so uh, so I said, well, if we get Carlos and Niall and Bernard, perhaps we can persuade EMI to let me record something. So that was, you know, so the, the conversation, and EMI said, well, yeah, as long as it's cheap, and um, there was a, you know, a little bit of artistic license on the budget, and I came over and did Imagination. I mean, I've cut the long story very short. Um, and then while we were doing Imagination, they brought in Robin Clark and Ava Cherry and Jimmy Malin on percussion. Bless him, he's, he's dead now, but he did everything. And, um, you know, I mean, it's just, there you know, I went back on a Tuesday morning. I remember taking into into EMI and saying, you are, after a year and a half, here's your hit. It was Imagination, you know, so yes. that, was a, that was a great moment. I felt very proud. And really, by that stage, I didn't care. Because I'd done it, you know. I, I was so exhausted with the whole process, you know. I know, I know. I knew I'd done it creatively. I'd done it. So really, if it didn't work, then everyone could shove it, you know.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, <clears throat> But, you know what but, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But then I was looking at the, you know, the cast of members and you had Frank Sims on vocals, but you also had the, yes. some of the best. You had an amazing bass player who worked with Bowie again. Carmine. Carmine, 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 Carmine yes. Yeah.
1: Well, then, of course, I persuaded EMI to let me go back and do most of the album. So um, uh, I went back and um, over the next few months and Carmine, Alan Childs and uh, the Borneo Horns and just about everyone in New York, came in and worked on this strange little Englishman uh, with white hair's record that no one knew who I was. and No one could understand why they were doing it, but the songs were great and the album turned out great and then I came with it. But the, the, the problem was EMI didn't really know what to do with it. I mean, you know, you've got an Englishman with this, with with New York's finest. Imagine it. It's a very... Uh, the the mid-80s were very English fashion-driven.
0: You know, I mean, think of a... It was all English. You know, are you English
1: or are you American? Yes.
0: But at that time, I mean, the charts were, you know, the mainstream charts. We had that Trevor Horn production sort of sound. So that was very dominant. And then we had, you know, sort of like the perfect... A lot of perfect pop. So Imagination and that, that you know, your album... Um, some people I mean it does kind of fit in everyone's record collection alongside people like Sade, Phil Collins etc etc yeah but I
1: didn't you see I didn't that was the problem you see um the songs were fine but um but but I believe some. well what is it is it a band is it a solo artist is it a person who is he and who's he thinking he is working with these amazing people got a lot of that um Oh, I mean, why does he work with these people? You know that English mentality? Yes. Um, you know, um, do you remember the the classic, um, the Sony, or it was CBS at the time, in the 70s, when Bruce Springsteen first came to London, and they, their marketing line was, is, is London ready for uh, for Bruce, or whatever. I can't remember. Do you remember that? The classic one where he was doing the Hammersmith Odeon at the time,
0: uh, yes. with Born
1: to Run, and they, their marketing thing was, is London ready for um, Bruce? And um, it annihilated Bruce. He didn't come back for about six or seven years, or five years, or something. I mean, the 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 Bruce can be we can be pretty. Uh, the,
0: the music press were
1: pretty. I don't, I don't think they really like me. The music
0: press. <laughs> well, nice. they were they were very fickle. I mean, I mean anybody, yeah. even people who thought from the outside that, oh, yeah, the NME must have loved you or the melody maker or sounds yeah. or, or cue. I mean, it turns out that everyone had a very difficult um, experience and, and relationship I mean, you know, the, yeah. because at the time I mean, there were very, if you kind of think about that, there was very few gatekeepers, that's the one thing that I've realised with age, is yeah. that, that, that now there, there's like, there aren't those kind of gatekeepers, like I, was, I mentioned John Peel he was a gatekeeper and then you had yeah. the mainstream yeah. Radio 1, they were gatekeepers and then you had these, just a few outlets for sort of like like the NME or the Q magazine, yeah. and and you had to, yeah, but they had so much power I mean, the NME had a circulation yeah. of 100 thousand a week which now you think you know you just think seriously but... and they were core cool people they were core cool people they were people who are going to buy yes an influence you yeah, know so they were, so they, we're yes having. i mean now you have someone on yes. instagram being an influencer so so you didn't really i mean
1: i mean, I wasn't political what... david i was sorry so i wasn't um i wasn't political
0: yeah but I, but but at the same it. time i, did I wasn't you... screaming
1: i wasn't screaming sorry i wasn't um I wasn't making a fuss about hating Mrs. Thatcher and all that nonsense either, you know, because they, they loved all that bollocks, you
0: know. They did, they did. We were, we, was a, there was a, there was a, the Socialist Workers' Party was rearing and, and rocking and yeah. on the left, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was very, it was, it was all, we were all, you know, everybody was kind of all over the place, wasn't it? And if you didn't come, if you didn't say who you were or what you believed in, people would tell, would make, you know, make assumptions that you yeah. must have been. I remember being on tour
1: with Frankie Goes to Hollywood and uh, halfway through the tour, they'd, they, there you we know, we'd get on furiously and my band were. You know just as badly behaved as anyone in frankie goes to Hollywood. and um i do remember halfway through three of them came up to me and said listen we've been having a big bet about this and an argument and you know I remember they were from liverpool and they were you know uh, i mean and he said um so mark says you went to a private school and uh and the other one said, no. I can't remember the name. Of them. They were fantastic guys. And uh, we became really good mates. i having a mental block. But no. And no, I said, impossible. And the other one said, no, it's impossible. You couldn't have done no. And no, no. I said, of course I went to a fucking private school, you idiots. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: remember they were so horrified. Oh, okay. well well, we never met anyone who went to a private school. I said, you have. You just don't fucking realize it. <laughs> no <laughs> yes you know.
0: yes ztt records would have been for of them. so um well, of course it was so, but,
1: I, we're very off track but i mean these are all you know i think they're quite relevant then now of course none of these things makes any difference to anyone everyone's you know been to union totally middle class and yes well because well
0: politics. well yeah without going that far but i just remember gary newman made a bit of a he he I, he was obviously getting annoyed because of various reasons. For one minute, being the hot shot, then being slightly forgotten, and then sort of yeah. came out, came out with a little bit yeah. of a. I don't know. He questioned the left, and and frankly, that was the end of his kind of. I remember
1: that that was the end of his career for about ten years. Wasn't yeah, it?
0: well, probably even longer until until yeah. you know, like probably about twenty yeah. years, and then it was like, no, Gary's cool again. We, but I mean, it was almost like, oh dear, you just you've just sort of, you don't really, and
1: it, and it's so ironic because you know all the journalists who are writing are all been to private school themselves. I mean, it was just it was just. They're such bloody hypocrites, you know. Yes, and
0: this uh, is true.
1: And um you're absolutely right. I remember that Gary Newman thing. He put his foot in it. Yes, um, it, was, it was. I mean, it,
0: yeah, it was it's like Brexit
1: now. It's, it's, you know, if you said you were, if you were an artist and you said you were, I mean, I spent the whole summer playing live, and you know, and um and. um 90% of the artists, you know, no one talks about politics anymore. But the 10% who did spouting off the whole time about, oh, the evil Brexit, evil Brexit, anything, really? Is that what we're supposed to be talking about? I'm 60. I'm backstage just a gig. And you really want to, you know, evil this and evil that. And sorry, I've done it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, it's, it's over. Tricky. It's <laughs>
0: tricky. It's tricky. But look, yeah. just one last thing, because I come from East Anglia, and you made a video. Some people filmed in Albright, Oh, so, yeah. So, yeah. can you remember any or well, much of that experience? Uh, of course, I can. Yeah, it was a, it was barking mad. It was a
1: big shoot because it was a Swatch commercial as well, and Storm Thorgerson, who you know yes. of, I'm, I'm assuming, because of his hypnosis. Um. He did all the sleeves and and art design for Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, and um, he was he was part of the whole creative process that went into all those amazing bands. So he's a legend, basically. Storm and Poe, his partner, um, did Imagination video, and you know the Imagination video was was pretty different. And um, I was adamant they were going to do the next video. He and I were fuming. Because, even though I, by the way, I had a fantastic relationship with him. Don't get me wrong. When I'm, when I'm talking about the relation, uh, record company, I'm, I'm not, um, it's not in antagonistically. It's it's just that, you know, it was like talking to your parents. Yes. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> uh, but obviously after turning up with a video with full of naked people, me and I were completely thrown by that. So the idea of me going back to Storm for the next one, um, they were... They were pleased, no naked bodies. So we had loads of children <laughs> running around, <laughs> which of course then upset them just as much because they were worried about what the connotation was of that. But anyway, so Auderbro was obviously you know Auderbro really well. It's an yes. amazing place. The lights amazing, the beach, the um, the
0: lighthouse.
1: Yeah, you know, and uh, and so we took the town over for three days. It was a big shoot. And, um, and we did the some people video, which was just, I mean, I, I was never really completely in the knowledge about what was going on with the storm video. You know, I mean, I'd like to say that I was in control, but I wasn't <laughs> just, right, um, we're going to and I remember driving up on a Friday afternoon or Thursday afternoon and arriving there and I, and, um, the whole village, the whole town had been taken over and, you know, Storm was wandering around and then f- the hundreds of children, what are they doing here? You know, and all this. So um, it, was a, it was, but anything with Storm was an amazing experience. I mean, he, the guy is a legend, you know.
0: Yes, absolutely. I just, you know, it was, it was just
1: barking a barking mad video. It was a barking mad. But some people did much better in America than imagination. And um, so I'm finding with, I find, with Americans, if I say some people, they know. Better chance of them knowing who I am than imagination. Europeans is imagination.
0: Yes. So when you were sort of um, coming off that ride on that kind of amazing debut album, which kind of hit sort of uh, you know, almost the jackpot, did you know, how did you sort of emotionally cope with that sort of the next moment when you sort of had to dust yourself down and think, okay, that was well. Fun. I've been planning it. I've been planning it. I mean, I'm
1: not. The, I'm always pretty organised about life, and I I was doing the Queen magic tour. I did three or four of their, um, their concerts, uh, obviously was the, the big one and I'd been touring. And then it was slotting to go to New York and, and I was adamant, I was going to go and work with the same core of musicians. The problem was that the record company were worried about me working with Steve Thompson and Michael Barbiero again. If I worked with the American musicians, this is a really silly thing that happened, and it's it's the cause of now, you know, m- me, you know. But so they insisted I had, I either had, went to New York and had the American musicians with an English producer, or I brought the American musicians over to London. And I didn't see the whole thing working in London because the great thing about New York was I could call them in, I could go to Carlos, How hey, about so-and-so's in town, let's, let's, can we get them in? You know, and um, can we get the Borneo Horns down? Can we get Jimmy Maiden? And we couldn't fly them over. Um, so in New York, we had everyone there. So I took my core musicians with me, Chester Cayman and Jeff Dugmore, and we went to New York. But we took Gary Lang and, oh, and, and Guy Fletcher, you know, uh, from D- Dire Straits, who's
0: yes.
1: been with me from the beginning. And, you know, we co-written a lot of stuff and whatever. So we went to New York and it was brilliant. The problem was... The, that it wasn't the same with Gary, and I love Gary, but it wasn't the same with him as it was with Steve and Mike, um, Michael Barbiero, so um, but I think we made an amazing album, and you know, I came back thrilled, and um, I think we had three or four great songs, Animal Magic, Some, some um, Girls, Let It Be With You, I thought were great tracks, EMI, the, EMI thought it was going to be their big album of the year, but And they spent a fortune promoting it and getting ready for it. And then they fucked up royally the release. And off the back of that release, if you know about the music industry, if England doesn't have a hit with the first single, all the Europeans pull it and the Americans pull it. So Let It Be With You came out. Radio 1, flying up the the airplay, um, Release day fantastic. And in those days, you had to release on the release date, you only had two to two weeks uh, run up. And uh, the record wasn't in the stores. So you, you couldn't buy it. So instead of going up the charts, it went down the charts. So my record was over. And that was it. That was it. a million quid, um, eight months work, the best musicians in the world, three videos, everything all over. Because the records weren't in the store on a Monday morning.
0: My God.
1: But the guy said sorry. He said sorry. The the, 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 the sales force, um, the sales manager said sorry. I mean, I wanted to kill him. You know, he destroyed my album. And probably um, indirectly my career. And every artist has got a reason why something went wrong. That's documented. It's, it's, you know, it's, if the records are not in the store, you've got nothing. So uh, he destroyed my album. Yes. My God. He'd gone on holiday and he put, put it down and they went in the following Monday. The following Monday, it was too late because Radio 1 had pulled it. And in those days, if you remember, you needed Radio 1 yes. and all the radio stations. By that stage, everyone had pulled it because it had gone down in the charts. And the Europeans all pulled it. And the Americans said, listen, we'll release it, but it's not a priority, because it's not here in England. And uh, end of my record. Blimey. <laughs> so millions of pounds down the drain, my career. Um, well,
0: fucked, really. So uh, that's what I dealt with. Blimey. So you're, yes, that was, um, so how do you, I mean... You ask me, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a fighter, so I carried on fighting, but, you know
1: you're fighting a losing battle when that's happened.
0: Yes and And having spoke to sort of quite a lot of you know bands, I mean a lot of them interestingly have a five year narrative you know, like I said, they have that first yeah. album, things are going well, the yeah. second album sometimes all the problems within a band, mostly it 's with people in a band where they're suddenly they haven 't worked out what how they were going to deal with the dynamic, mm. plus there has been a serious lack of money, so even if they 've yeah. had some sort of creative moments which have been brilliant and some amazing highs there 've also been a few lows, but it 's like mm. We still have no money. I'm completely broke, you know, and I'm either living with Mm. my girlfriend or living at home and it's kind of like, you know, yeah, and I suppose people suddenly realise actually the business side, which they hadn't, um, Mm. is like, we don't even own our music either. You know, so that's often when people decide... Then just going to give it up so, mm. but you you obviously you said you're a fighter so then but the other thing that also happens is that music kind of trends change so there was a few people there were a lot of people who got yeah we were really there because that trend and then suddenly someone says it's dance music are you taking ecstasy no nope? okay well forget that you you know we are now we're doing dance or we're now doing grunge or now there's brit pop so so obviously you know the eighties pop scene, yeah. as we know, was was yeah. the perfect place for that first album, and then things are starting to change again. No, aren't they? no, no, no,
1: no. The second album was spot on. It was far more rocky. It was, it was a lot of rock players. It was, it was, it's a, it's a, it was totally in tune. The problem, I, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not. Um, you know, I'm not naive, and I'm not burying my head in the sand or whatever. So I carried on. I, the tours were all booked, and of course, the tours were booked. Um But um, you know, the the thing is, if you know about the industry, and it, it, you know that's what happens. If if the first single in the in your home territory doesn't go, you're I mean, ask anyone, you're doomed. So anyway, I was doomed. But anyway, I carried on. They released the singles. I carried on. I did every bit of promotion I could do, but fundamentally without the support because, you know, and I don't blame them. You know, it hadn't been a hit and they couldn't resurrect it and they got other things. Anyway, to to cut a long story short, um, you know, I go away. I I spend a couple of years promoting the the record that I know it's not going to work. So Big big Dance Hits in America with two of the tracks, which... um, was good i mean animal magic in the states was you know a massive dance hit and let it be with you so so i mean uh, you know i went i spent a lot of time over there um and then of course the problem i had was that the record company was changing and they've lost their confidence so they weren't trying to get me to work with people that i can't work with you know and do things i couldn't do stock eight wasn't ken and walkman and all that nonsense i mean you know i'm not a stockhead and Waterman act um, I've always been a really more of a, an R&B rock act, um, despite my white hair and my silly name. You know, I wasn't a pop actor or a pretty boy, um, but they always felt, record companies always feel more secure if they can put you on the front cover of a pop magazine and you know. So, um, I didn't want to work with um, Stock Hick and Waterman, that was ridiculous yes. with covers and goodness knows what. So. I went to New York and I started writing and i writing and writing. I couldn't get arrested to save my life. Also, I'm Louis Summer. I'm very definitely an 80s act. It's now the 90s. And um, eventually I did get a record deal and I made a great album. And it was released in 1993 um, on BMG in Germany and Arista over here. But Arista over here didn't like an appalling job. I don't even bother releasing they probably put it in the stores. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I realized that they were just doing it because it was a contract, you know, and uh, got great reviews. Americans liked it. Um, and then I put one more record out and made of mine um, a dance record, um, The the a cover of the um, uh, Baby Let Me Love You For Tonight, The, the um, that fantastic dance record I did. And in 1995. And then I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm out of here. This is too humiliating. It's too, it's, too, you know, I'm not chasing around after, you know, this is, you know, it's, what's the point? It's just to be, because people are very, very unpleasant to you. If you've been a pop star and you're not a pop star anymore, mm-hmm. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> this is very English. It's a very English thing. I mean, it's the Daily Mail syndrome, you know, it's like, yes. <laughs> Well, you're a loser, aren't you? Yes. Well, uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, so um, I just, uh, you know, and also I to make a living. So I, I started going to business and doing other things. And then um, I watched other 80s acts come back and recreate, you know, a career for themselves. And But I thought, no, sorry, I'm never doing that. And it was only this year that I did come back Uh
0: you know, 30 years on. Yes. Well, Adam, I, said, Adam, I was going to say 30 years is quite interesting because I've come across a lot of things that or have have sort 25, of... Like, 25 or 30 years. Yeah, like like but there, there is yeah. that passing of time. And it's not just on music. There's other things that were almost like, oh, yeah, just throw that away. You know, I was thinking there was, I don't know, in the 80s there was a lot of fanzines and people doing these little bits and pieces or little little record labels that at the time, you know, no one was really interested in. And then suddenly this passing time happens and then it's like, oh, wait a minute, that's quite an amazing history. You know, it's like... Yeah. It's become something, don't chuck that in the recycling. Let's all landfill, heaven forbid. Um, let's let's put it in a museum or write a book about it. And then suddenly like and so thirty well, that kind of time span seems to be yeah. quite important for things to shift. So when you were sort of not making music and doing other bits, did you just really have to push that character to one side and shut it in? Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: I, I, I you know, I, I went to bed with the satisfaction at night of knowing that I had written imagination and other songs. And I'm still living in central London, so I was still in contact, but I had to stomach being around people going, I've got a great new act. That's amazing. That wasn't amazing. And, and you know, and I had to, um, who had no idea about, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I had a 20 year career in the music industry, if you think, from when I was 14 to, you know, to in my early 30s when I stopped. So, I mean, I, I, it, was, it was my life, you know, and um, so I had to stomach that and I had to tolerate it and I had to have bite my lip and I, I didn't discuss it. And I didn't. People sometimes found out when I was doing business with them, they, you know, but um, um, no, I stomached it and it was very awful. and uh but i did it and and then the other thing was um my publishing was not i didn't own my publishing so every time i sang something or did something um other people made money from me and i would just say something i didn't sing it but you know every time it was on the radio and whatever and um and imagination was one of those songs that carried on through the the, the ages, as you know, it's a, you know, a song everyone knows. So um, it, it carried on being played everywhere in the world and whatever. But, you know, I had the humiliation of being ripped off by just about every Tom, Dick, and Harry, of course. So um, I managed to buy my publishing back about three or four years ago. So that was another reason why my motivation changed. So I thought, you know, now when I stand up and sing, I own what I wrote you know yes. uh which very few of us 80s acts do
0: i know we've this all
1: is... we've all been terribly abused you know um not in the states because in the states you, you can get it back but here you can't get it back but um no we've all been ripped off and um And they, you know, you you talk to these publishers, they'll say, yes, but we invested in you. Yeah, you invested and you made a fortune out of us. I also had a publisher that, you know, went bankrupt and took a million quid off me. And so, I mean, I, you know, so we've had all these um, things you had to deal with. So I, 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 you know, so now I, when, when those amazing Let's Rock people invited me back, Let's Rock people. um, Yeah, you know, I came back, didn't know what to expect. And it was, it's been an amazing summer.
0: Yes. And and because and, obviously, you know, like 20 plus years had passed and you probably sort of, you know, then suddenly got the microphone. Did it feel like, oh, this is, um, you know, how did it feel, you know, with the voice? Well, I didn't think about it until a couple of days before, to be honest with you, because I didn't really know what to
1: expect. And, and then the day I turned up, I suddenly saw loads of people that I knew very well, from, but I hadn't seen for 30 years. I mean, which is bizarre. So it was like, I was like, Oh, hello. And they were, Oh, hi, Nev. How are you? Like it was yesterday.
0: Yes. It was
1: like a 30 year or 25 year chunk had been slotted back in or out or whatever. And, uh, and everyone was so nice. And then the audience, the audience was amazing and they knew the songs. Um, I'm not trying to sell anything. Mm-hmm. We're all there to have fun. Um, you know what I mean. The songs have bedded in. <laughs> you know, the, the, in the old days when I was singing my songs, no one had heard them. <laughs> yes. So you know now, you know they're part of their growing up and their culture. And so, to be quite honest with you, it was the most amazing feeling. I, I've, I didn't think it was ever going to happen in my life, it, and it was truly shocking and um, wonderful.
0: Yeah. Did you I remember many years ago I did an interview with Martin Fry from ABC, He was he who's obviously also had experiences of being like the hottest singer yeah. and then being like Yeah, boring. Martin said that,
1: yeah. Yeah, and
0: then and he said, Yeah, oh, one well, you know, we should all just have a an old people's one day, an old people's home for these ex, you know, pop stars who, <laughs> you know, just so because no one else can really understand what it's been like to go through that and then come out the other end. everyone else, no, only those people, those, you know, those few people yeah. have, have had it's that It's great. Story. I mean, Martin, Martin's fantastic. I mean, and obviously I've seen him a, a, a quite a lot recently and
1: um he gets it. I, I, and I actually, I mean, I saw Martin two or three times over the last twenty-five years. We, you know, with chums. So I saw him at various, a couple of weddings. Yes. <laughs> but um, fundamentally, he's right. The, this it's um, the, the extremes are so extreme. You know, we're going on stage at this summer. We're well, you know, going on stage to, you know, a couple of the gigs were twenty thousand people. Going on stage to twenty thousand people is. The most amazing thing in the world, when you're fifty nine when the last time you did it, you were twenty something and um, on the other hand, you know I've been places in between where people have been incredibly awful and and it's and really rude and I don't understand why people are rude to creative people who are not having hits or not selling books or making their movies a disaster because they're taking risks and they're, they're out on a limb, you know. Anyone who's being creative is out on a limb because they're bearing their soul, aren't they? You know, yes. um, well, I can they're, always they're... I
0: can remember once, it was one of those occasions, it was, um, I don't know, a speech day at school and there was an ex... Headmaster had come back and he said something which I always remember, and I must have been very young, but my, my but I sort of mentioned it to my brother afterwards, or he did. Um, so it stuck. He said, "Don't be a spectator in the game of life," and I think the thing is most people are. So we, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know. So, but when you have been there, you've taken the baton and you've yeah. you've put yourself on stage or on the pitch. You're not the same as the people on the, on, you know, who are shouting on the sidelines and only those people will know what that's like yeah. and how, how vulnerable it also feels. And like what happens when the clapping stops, you know, that experience as well, isn't it? So, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, yeah, and, you, know, it's, it's it, you know, I don't want you to think that it's everyone or everything. It's not actually or ordinary the audience who does it it's really the audience really sometimes says things that are very clumsy without realizing it so you'll meet someone and go oh what's it like to be a one-hit wonder and you just want to punch their lights out and go you mean i spent 20 years you call me a one-hit wonder you know and um you know what I mean? It's just the worst thing you could ever say to anyone. I it was mean, a bit actually um, when, you,
0: when you said that, I thought you could almost respond to like, well, you know, what's it like? It's not one to be more able... hit than you. Yes. <laughs> well, no. What I was going to say it was almost like the response. Of, I just thought you. It's like, well, you're not really much of a music fan if that's all you think that I've done. You know. You know what I mean? It's a bit like. <laughs> but you don't. You <laughs> don't respond. You know. I mean, no, actually, of course you don't. You just, you just go. Brr. But look, it's not that. It's
1: mainly the people. I don't know who the people are. I mean, the trouble is that, um, you know, most people are pretty good. I mean, I can't, you know, I mean, I think that um, this is not a normal conversation because this is not normal. It's not normal to have a career for 20 years, then have to hide for another 25 and then come back. Boom. Here I am. I'm amazing. Bounce onto stage, sing your songs and pretend everything's normal and you've been doing it all the time. I mean, it's just, it's not
0: normal. <laughs> no, because I, I can remember seeing an interview with David Byrne from Talking Heads saying, you're not, yeah. when you're on stage, you're not the same as the guy or the woman at the bar having the drink. You know, you've, <laughs> you, you are literally, you feel quite naked, you know, on that stage. Yeah. You know, and Well, it can go wrong, can't it? It can go very wrong. And it is, it is different. You know, you, you just can't, you know, you are going to yeah. be a different person. But at the same time, I think... One thing no, I've no, noticed no. with age is, especially as we hit 50 plus, that, you, you know, no. you almost want to feel like we all just be a bit kinder to each other at the moment. Because we've all had we've all had <laughs> yes. moments where, you know, your parents are getting old, you had health issues, you know, your cat's been a bit sick. You know, you had relationships yeah. that have been good and bad. You've yeah. had you've had dreams kind of like come and go. So you kind of in a way, I feel like, God, if we yeah. all just kind of give ourselves <laughs> space. I, I
1: didn't meet one person this whole summer. I mean, I did 12 gigs all around the country. I mean, including Norwich and whatever it was amazing. And I didn't meet one person who was negative, you know, I mean, backstage, um, in front of the stage, everyone was lovely. I mean, you know, and, you know, people are beautiful. I mean, they, you know, they, it, it, just forget what you read in the newspapers you see on sky news, people are fundamentally amazing. And, you know, sometimes people say things that are a bit clumsy, but, but, um, if you think about your life, as a rule, people in this country are amazing. You
0: know, I, mean, I have
1: a lot of faith in, in our, you in know, I don't want to say our country, because I do. I think people are amazing.
0: Yes, this yeah. is good. But do you do you also feel with this kind of experience that it's helped you? Without sounding too corny, but it's going to sound corny, a little bit like a he. Has it been a bit of a healing process? That's what I was going to say. With with yourself plus also that kind of community as what's well. What's been
1: a he- what's been a healing process is that it it gave me the oomph um, to go onto social media and go. Oh, by the way, here I am. And then over the last year, people have come out. So I um I went on Instagram originally and. Uh, and so half the people who followed me on Instagram didn't know who I was. And then gradually they realized, or a lot of people realized that, it, you know, I was probably some from the eighties, but then I went onto Facebook, you know, and then people I hadn't seen for 30 years came within an afternoon. <laughs> it's like, where have you been? What have you been doing? I thought you were dead because there was no social media 30 years ago and there was no uh, mobile phones. And Carlos and I thought, you know, I mean, five years ago, when I first got back in touch with Carlos, um, Carlos thought I was dead, you know. And uh, Carmine, you—the one you, you know, yes. you were talking about just now—they they, didn't—they thought where oh Nev, we thought something terrible happened to you, because of course I'd been out of the business and I didn't get in touch with anyone. But what it was what are you supposed to do? Write a letter, hi once a year, hi a Christmas card, you know. Um, so social media has been amazing. And I've uploaded, luckily I thought I was going to be so successful that I took pictures of everything. So I've uploaded thousands of pictures onto um, my platforms. And so all the people involved in those, because people didn't take pictures 30 years ago. No, Think no, about no. it. You yes, didn't walk no, it around. It was so expensive true.
0: to get them developed. You know, now we click away at everything. So we I, only ha- We only had 36 frames, didn't we? <laughs> yes.
1: But I took pictures of everyone and everything. So... Um, i 've been uploading those for a year, and of course everyone 's loving that they 're seeing pictures themselves thirty years ago
0: so when great. when you saw or perhaps you didn 't but you know when you saw things like the bros film you know when the when the clapping stops did you did you think oh I might just have to watch that a little bit just to see that i
1: liked you know i loved I, I had to stop halfway through and go and regroup yes. but I actually fundamentally at the end of it, it was a brilliant film yes, and um I thought they were um I mean they're characters. They they post me. You See, they, were late 80s, weren't they they were late eighties, weren't they? Were eighty nine. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really know them. I knew Tom Watkins very well, their manager, and um, and uh, he did all my artwork for. He did the artwork for Imagination. He was an amazing guy. Um, and uh, but I mean, there there you know there are a couple of characters. I mean, <laughs> and uh, but again, it's show business. You know, that's what it's all about. Yes, it's um, they They are. And they were opening. They were opening the doors to their private life, which means that, you know, souls are bad. And, um, you know, I've never done I've never been very good at that. That's one of the reasons I think also, you know, when I did interviews, I never really opened up in the old days. Now I don't give a monkey's toss. But um, in the old days, I was pretty withdrawn, you know.
0: Yes, that's fair enough.
1: I think I—I I don't think I made it, into, it, easy, it, it, it easier. Sorry, I don't think I made it easy for uh, journalists in the eighties. No, I was very guarded. I think you know, as a journalist, you know what I mean. You need you need to you need to have something to latch your story onto, don't you?
0: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I suppose I don't. Yes, I, I sort of. I mean, I like I like a person's story. I don't really want the sort of like you know, it's that kind yeah. of. Yeah. It's quite a fine... The headline. Yes, I, I suppose I like to go to bed in the, at night and feel like I've been a decent person. I don't really want to yeah. feel... I don't want to sort of grab some sort of moment just to have a five minute yeah of, yeah <laughs> it's like you know, <laughs> you, know you, you, you just want to feel like a clean conscious conscience really yeah. and and you haven't sort of done some number on anybody just you you just I think as I was saying earlier when you start getting older you just want to be kind and hopefully karma wow. will re- reward one in in sort of like I suppose but you're no. but, I, but I think the thing is you've done some amazing work and you know and obviously this do you get a little bit tempted because you had such a creative time and you wrote so many amazing songs do you think actually i might have a little doodle here <laughs>
1: right i've been asked that now so a few times in the last couple of months and the answer is absolutely completely and utterly no but um it's look i've you know i've got two young children and a, and a family and a wife and whatever and um to go into that zone it's um i lived it i believed it everything i i did you know i was not a fraud i wasn't you know i wasn't like someone sitting in a studio uh, seven days a week or five days a week writing songs for other people when i wrote my songs they were me and that was that was what i believed and and whatever and um so w- if i'm if i have to go away and write songs um i have to sh- shut myself away and i have to go into a zone and, and i'm not sure that the 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 upside warrants it do you know what i'm saying yes so i would need to have a month i would have to have a month away um now it would you know i mean i hate i hate to talk about money but is there any kind of you know i mean like why would i do it You know, would they they be hits? Probably not. Who would market them? I'm a 60 year old singer from the 80s. On a couple of occasions, I have suggested to um, young managers that I would help them out with their songs uh, for various artists in the last few years or last two or three years. And they've looked at me in horror because now you have seven or eight people writing songs for each artist or each song. And the only way you can make money is on the songwriting. So I think that the last thing they want is some old songwriter coming in and going, Oi, that doesn't work. So, uh, no, is the answer to your question. There's no, there's no reason yes. to do it.
0: No, I just wondered if you were yeah, sometimes pottering. Do I, do I get the urge? Do I get the
1: urge? If I was Mark Knopfler sitting at home and I had a tour coming up and someone was there to put my record out, yeah. I would definitely do it. I'd love to write. So songwriting was the was the biggest luxury in the world. You know, I loved it. Yes, I had, I had twenty years of it, yeah. Yeah. and I used to. In fact, I carried on writing songs after I'd stopped. Um, I just come to think of it, I carried on writing songs till about um, two thousand or so.
0: Yeah, I did. I forgot about that. Yeah, and, and have you got them in a folder, earth? Oh, there's somewhere in a box. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to go up the attic, won't you? Just have to have a yeah, 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 nosy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean
1: well, the other thing that makes it difficult of course is that there's the format that they're all recording on keeps on changing. So I've got some great songs I wrote in New York, but I can't actually play them. So I've never um yes. you know, we had dats.
0: Dats. And, and then we had um discs or
1: something <laughs> something else is and <laughs> I <know>. something else. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> so so I've got a book full of these things. I don't even know what they're called. So there's various different sort of formats. So I'd need some technician to come down and go, oh, well, that's a woo and that's a wee and that's a, you know. So, the...
0: <laughs> no, is the answer to your question. That's right. But you must have really enjoyed putting a band together and getting out there for those gigs, you know, sort of just having a live musician. Yeah, the bass... I loved being on
1: stage, you know, with my band. And my band was amazing. My my Bluey, the proper Bluey Sun band that we for a couple of years was just show stopping. I mean, that's why I got the the Queen tour because Freddie came storming down and said, "You just, your band's amazing." We were just, you know, I had some of the some of the best musicians and um, and um, but I went on tour, you know, also in America with Carmine um, and Alan Childs, you know, the ones you went to see at the Milton Keynes. Yes, and also another tour I did in America, I had Robin Clark and. Um, you know, Carlos' wife and all that. So I had some pretty good... I never had a dodgy band. No. <laughs> I never I never had a band that wasn't stunning to, to you know, to listen to it, you know. Because, so, because uh, I mean,
0: you did, I mean, you have had, you know, you did have Pete Townsend guest on one of your tracks as well. Yeah. So, so you yeah, must... Yeah, and, yeah. and Neil X from Sp- Sputnik. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you yeah, have, yeah, you yeah. you know, it's been a hell of a career, hasn't it? Let's face it, you oh, packed yeah, a lot yeah, in. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's not yeah,
1: but I, yeah, I never think about it really. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, well, of course, the, the last couple of months I've started thinking about it again, but I didn't think about it during the period. The other reason i thought about it is social media and websites. I've got a website now and all that nonsense. Yes. But, but um, you, you know, um, yeah, I didn't feel safe to think about it, the truth be known, but now I'm reveling in it. And also my children didn't know I was a singer until last year. <laughs> you know, so it was only when someone showed them me singing on YouTube. That uh, they say, this is your
0: daddy, you know, and uh, they, they their uh, their jaws must have dropped really. <laughs> well, they're a bit confused, I <laughs> mean, but they but they love it, and and um, and that's yes. great. And yeah. just and just lastly, what would you say to an eighteen-year-old self? I mean, and when I say that, I, I will ask that: is it's like, what did you pick up over the years and decades that you would think, God, if someone could have just whispered one thing in my ear? at that stage what would it be it's it's different
1: now because i I get this i get this quite a lot and I'm, i'm quite passionate about helping people because i could have done with some help you know and i never got it um and i always followed up every lead and they were always useless but um um firstly no 18 year old or no band now wants to know the truth and the truth is there's no such thing as a record deal And there's no such thing. So when you hear Simon Cowell saying, we're going to give you a record deal, what are you going to do with a record deal? There's no such thing. I mean, it's a marketing company. A record company is a marketing company. Now you've got to go in with a finished record. You've got to have done all the creative stuff, all the blurb. And then they'll put it out. They'll physically put it. Well, what are you going to do? There's no record stores. So what they're going to do is they're going to market you. So, So... you've got to do it all yourself you've got to have a plan you've got to see the end game i think the one thing i never well i probably did do but i you know the one thing you've got to do in life about anything you do and you'll agree with me this because we get older we realize this so you've got to see the end game you've got to see could this work yes it could work could it work nah. you know what i mean yeah so i want to say to an 18 year old could you see your music being played on the grammys last night in l.a if you couldn't, you're doing something wrong. Regroup. Because that's what you're competing with, isn't it? Yep, that's true. That's what they told me. You're releasing the same week as Paul McCartney, your first record. i was like, oh my god. And two records have gone on Radio One. <laughs> All right, OK. Yes.
0: Uh,
1: so I just want I just want young artists to never give it in to have be full of faith and whatever but and also the other thing is craft writing, 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 writing. You know, just you know, the song doesn't happen overnight. Develop it, keep playing it. Because a lot of people think a song happens quickly, it doesn't happen quickly. It the 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 the, the spark happens quickly, but then you've got to develop
0: it. Yes. And those play it out. And there was an amazing documentary, wasn't there, from, um, about the Swedish kind of songwriters who who just yeah. kind of monopolise the market. Like there's a whole gang of them who just um, yeah who, who write for sort of all the biggest acts. And it's like it's a real art, you know. It's a real you know. It doesn't yeah tricky. One. I once met
1: a record producer who worked with the Swedes and the Danes. He said the great thing about the Danes is you finish a a, a record and and they all go out and get pissed and the Swedes go home to bed. (laughs) I mean, my wife's Swedish, by the way, so I've got to be a bit careful. But, um, uh, but, uh, you know, the Swedes, you know, the Swedes are in at eight o'clock in the morning for the next one. But the the thing about it is that for them, it's a business. It's not an art form. And uh, I'm in two minds about the whole thing, because for me, it was, you know, it was a creative process. I mean, I believed it. It was totally, it was totally from inside. And I think these houses or these, studios with seven or eight different writers in different rooms and the songs are passed round around you know yeah um you know and you can tell the songs are pretty bland but of course they're great but they're singles they're one-offs yes yeah
0: max martin he's yeah he's amazing but they're one-off singles aren't they i mean
1: they're not um they're not um
0: I spo- yeah, I suppose in our day, it was quite, it was still that that sort of hangover from the 60s and, and 70s. Yeah. And, you know, in a way, you had a proper band and you would, like the Beatles, you know, you would sort of, you know, yeah. you started in the cabin club. Your manager said, you're good, but not that great. We'll send you to Hamburg, learn to, you know, put the hours. Yeah. In. It was like you did that sort of 100,000 hours, then you'd come back and then you yeah. sort of, you kept working it. So it wasn't just like a magic. I
1: did a demo once every three months. I saved the money up. I was a mini-cab driver and a painter and decorator and um and a landscape gardener and I did um enough money to go in with a band into a studio to do two songs every 3 months. And I kept that up for 3 years. And you know, occasionally one of the songs would be listenable to. Often the the, the thing would just be a disaster. And I had one day, you know, 10-hour session. And now, you know, I I sit there with my Mac, with my 11-year-old daughter, and we can create something, you know. I mean, it's just crazy. And um, But, you know, you ha- I had to have crafted the song to go in the studio with the band. Do
0: you know yes, what I mean? Yeah.
1: So maybe that's what you were just saying, you know. Yeah. I, I but, but times change, you know. That's, that's the way of the world, isn't it? I mean, yes. it's no good. No good. <laughs> it's no good. I was sitting there going well in the old days. But I think maybe it shows in the bands. The bands, the fact that people are listening to 80s bands and 90s bands and you know. Well I I
0: suppose there was that story of um, Black Sabbath who had been touring and playing and touring and playing they got to sort of record that first album and they just went in the studio and just did the whole thing in, a, in an afternoon almost something like that and it's like well we've been playing it we don't need to do it twice we can play it once and yeah get it. and and you know 50 40 50 years later it's still going to be a classic so I think that's the difference is that those Ziggy Stardust things you know it's like well that's a accumulation of a lot of work that has kind of produced something that is in you know, a perfect pop or perfect heavy metal you know it's like you kind of think, yeah, that's why we're still listening because there is something quite unique about it. Those, those people, guys in this case, you know, did, you know, they they'd really made it happen, didn't they? You know, it wasn't you know it wasn't the Simon Cowell thing at all. You know, I don't think no.
1: But but if, if you think of that, David Bowie, Stardust, he just three or four months before he'd done Anky Tonk*, I think it was Hunky Tonk* wasn't it? Yeah. And three or four months, only six months before that, he'd done *The Man Who Changed the World*. Or, or man, I can't remember now. But I mean, I mean, the thing is. He'd had them already. The songs had been played out.
0: Yes. And
1: they they developed. They they'd um you know, uh the band had played them, they they so when they went in to record them, they recorded them in two or three weeks. So um the same with Elton. So um anyway, with, with that that, that was not you know, one mustn't harp that. I think probably Coldplay are probably pretty similar. They're they're a band who play Yes probably
0: quite a lot and whatever but they're probably pretty unique i think some of the yeah it's interesting well look this has been amazing thank you thank you ever so much for your time and thank god we managed to get it together it's all been good and i'll tell you when i put it out yeah sorry yeah (laughs) and and i'll tell you you i I mean it's
1: lovely chatting and i'm so sorry that you see i'm i'm so bad on facebook so so I miss all the messages you see, seen. I'm on Instagram every day, but I'm not on Facebook. So um, apologies for being so flaky. I'm not, you know what I mean? That's fine. I, it's, they
0: don't... Well, it's interesting that because you, you know, in the old days we had a letter and a phone and then you had email and then you have Twitter. There's a place in Twitter, a land, there's a place yeah. in, in Instagram, there's a place in uh, Facebook, now there's kind of Messenger and then there's kind of WhatsApp and you're thinking oh, I like, no, you know, you know, It's a bit like God, is like 10 different places you could leave a message, you know. And now we don't even have a landline, do we? It's that. No, you know, no, we're talking about like, that, not even have a landline. It's a bit like... You've got, my number, you've got my number now anyway, so this is my number. So this yeah. is your number. Anyway, um, this is good.
1: And um, it's been lovely chatting to you and making me think and all these things I've talked about. My God, I don't normally talk about these things. And... Um, and uh, no, it's been wonderful. And uh, no, it's been really lovely. Sort of therapeutic, like going to what the shrink, I suppose. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, so
1: well, have a wonderful evening and thank you so much.
0: Take care there. Thanks a lot. Take care. Cheers. Right. Bye bye. Bye.
1: Bye.